Rackhouse Ramblings, episode 15, take one. Hey, this is Rackhouse Ramblings. I'm Jeff, and this is episode number 15. Today is going to be a great show. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I had to put to put some ideas together. I'm sorry about the delay. Once again, I seem to be dragging my feet, but I what I do is I go through the whole week and think of ideas and it's hard to kind of organize them, and that's what takes me so long. I've always got stuff to talk about, but I, I want to do you guys a favor and kind of organize it before I record it. So here we go. Um, I want to start uh, the show is going to have a review of my Anthony Bourdain day. That was uh, last Thursday on June 25th. Then uh, today I'm going to talk about uh, Macomb County Commissioner Candace Miller and her fight against flushable wipes. Remember I talked about the Fatberg uh, a few episodes back? We're going to revisit that. Then I've got a new bourbon uh, for the spotlight. It's distilled locally here in Michigan. That should be pretty cool. And I have a surprise project. It's a new project I'm starting. I think you guys are going to like uh, hearing about it. But before we get into all that stuff, I got a few other things to talk about. Um, first, there's a couple new podcasts I've been listening to. And I think I mentioned this before, this first one. It's a true crime podcast. And I'm not really a true true, kind, true crime kind of guy, but it's called Missing in Alaska. And I started listening to it when we were driving out to North Dakota. I'm kind of hooked on it. And it's a true story. It's a podcast that talks about this mysterious plane disappearance in the skies over Alaska. And it took place like almost 50 years ago. It was October of 1972. And what makes it noteworthy, I guess, is there were two representatives like um, from Washington, D.C. One uh, was Hal Boggs, and he was a Democrat from Louisiana. And the other was a guy named Nick Begich, who was a Democrat from Alaska. And you probably don't know this, but the Hal Boggs guy was on the commission that reviewed the uh, JFK assassination. So the podcast talks about this uh, plane disappearing and all that and the circumstances leading up to it and the possibility of a bomb that was put on the plane by the mafia. No shit. So it ties into the mafia and there's actually some um, Detroit connections to a mafia family here in Detroit. And that's once they start mentioning Detroit and this guy uh, went from Detroit to Alaska as part of the mob was involved in this bombing. It's kind of neat to listen to. Um, it, it, I think it's a juicy plot and it's hard to stop listening to it. So, But I think you guys will like it too. Check it out. It's called Missing in Alaska. And if you're using Podbean or whatever, give it a search if you like that sort of thing. Another one I stumbled across is kind of the, the opposite end of the spectrum. It's really funny. It's called Fake Doctors, Real Friends. And this one, um, it's hosted by uh, two of the guys that starred on the sitcom Scrubs. I don't know if you remember uh, Zach, uh, is it Zach Braff and uh, Donald Fizio, Faison, Faison? It's the white guy and the African-American guy, and they're really funny. And what I didn't realize was um, on the show, you know, they're, they're the doctor students and all that, and they're best friends, but in real life, they're best friends also. <laughs> and I didn't know this. Apparently, when they would wrap up a season of Scrubs, these two guys rent an apartment in New York and would do all their summer jobs acting and things like that, and they play off each other really well. And I've never watched Scrubs, never seen a full episode ever. And what these guys do is kind of review episodes very loosely, <laughs> very loosely, but they're really funny. They play off each other really well, and I'm probably about six or seven episodes into it, and I've laughed my ass off every time. It's really, really funny. So give it a listen. It's called uh, Fake Doctors, Real Friends, 
And um, oh, one more thing, you know what? Um, the new season of Alone is out. And I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a huge fan of Alone. And that's the show on the History Channel where they put people out in the wilderness and you only get 10 items. And in seasons past, the one who stays out the longest wins. And this season is a little bit different because you stay out 100 days and you get a million dollars. And it's probably three weeks into it and two or three people have left the show already, but it's something cool. Give it a watch. It's on Thursday nights at 10 o'clock and they're way up in the Canadian Arctic. And if you're into that survival outdoors kind of thing, you'll probably like it. But um, I guess those are the things I got to uh, get out of the way real quick for my introduction. But um, let's get on with it. Rackhouse Ramblings, episode number 15, and we'll be right back. Okay, I'm back, and we're going to talk about Anthony Bourdain Day. And my last podcast, I told you guys about it. It was Thursday the 25th. That's Anthony Bourdain's birthday. And the whole idea, um, one of the things that I liked celebrating about it is that um, you kind of get together with friends, and you have fun, and you cook things, and uh, laugh, and drink, and what have you. And so on that Thursday evening, there's a couple of friends that uh, I invited over, and um we had a really, really good time. You know, Megan and Phil and Aaron and Emily, I I had a good time. I'm, I'm sure you guys knew it and I told you, but I was so happy for that night. But um, what I did was I asked uh, the guests to bring over a dish to pass and I suggested, said, hey, you know, go on the internet. Here's a, I even had a recipe book. Pick something out of here that's Anthony Bourdain inspired. And it doesn't have to be the exact thing, but something inspired, whether it's an entree or an appetizer or what have you. And so they did, and it was really, really cool. Um, so what we did is uh, Aaron and Emily brought over meatball parm, and I'm pretty sure Aaron made it. <laughs> he, he likes to cook, and it was off the, it was so freaking good. And then Aaron uh, brought over a six-pack of uh, this mango IPA from the brewery by his place, and that was some good shit too. We'll save that for another day. But then also Megan and Phil brought over some homemade-from-scratch mushroom soup, and it was so good and the only mushroom soup i've ever had is campbell's you know from the can so this stuff was so much more uh i guess flavorful and after hearing that it took her you know like a whole afternoon to make it it you could taste it you could definitely taste it and i don't know if i told her enough how much i liked it but i really liked it. i kept some leftovers as a matter of fact and then um ann and i i made um lasagna um ann made a did a homemade uh Caesar salad. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Caesar salad is not from Italy. It's actually Mexican people made it. But anyway, in real Caesar salad, there's anchovies. And so we went in the uh, Anthony Bourdain cookbook and it called for two different kinds of anchovies, as a matter of fact. And so you had to get your, you know, uh, romaine lettuce and we got fresh cheese and then you had to make croutons and the way you do it is you cube up bread and you fry the bread in olive oil with some anchovies and some fresh garlic and these croutons were so good then of course you had to make your own homemade uh caesar dressing once again that's olive oil garlic and more anchovies and it turned out really really good i'm not a huge salad person but i thought it was really good so back to what i made I did lasagna from scratch, and it was a recipe straight out of the Anthony Bourdain um, cookbook. And um, 
it would it I would came and tell you how good it tasted. And that, oh, you know what else? I made appetizers. I'm looking at my notes here. I'm so sorry. I'm so scattered. But my appetizers I made were deviled eggs, and the twist with deviled eggs is. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, and I didn't know it either, but when you're making your deviled eggs, really it's just mayonnaise and the eggs, right? So depending on how you spice it, it can go many different directions. So I did a recipe with uh, salsa, and I had a really good, uh, they were the smoked green chili salsa from Costco, mixed it in with the mayo and the eggs, and uh, put some little pieces of uh, tomato on it to kind of zhuzh it up a little bit and then sprinkled some chili powder on top and lo and behold there you go they were like southwest style spicy deviled eggs and i even did another version with red salsa with the uh, tomato type salsa so some were green and some were red but they were both spicy and both topped with chili chili powder then another appetizer that was in the book sounded like fun were um bar nuts you know like when you go to the bar they used to have like a little bowl of nuts and goldfish or whatever so these were old school uh, mixed nuts and what you do is you take um, egg whites and you mix it up with salt and uh, hot chili powder and uh, so the egg whites and the chili powder you coat the mixed nuts in it and then bake it in the oven for like 30 minutes and they come out with like this little crispy coating and they're a little bit spicy damn where oh brown sugar that also went on there too damn were those good so that was another appetizer I made and then um you know, let's go, before I get too far, let me get back to lasagna. So lasagna was my first time cooking and I tried to follow, or cooking lasagna, I should say, first time doing it ever. And, and I wanted to follow the cookbook as best as I could. And so I read everything that, you know, the chef Anthony Bourdain did. And um, he says to make it a day in advance. So then you put it in the refrigerator and that's how everything, all the flavors marry together, which I never realized it. But I did it two days ahead and refrigerated it so it could set up. And I'll tell you what, um, it was so, so good. And just making it took me an entire afternoon, every bit of five or six hours, I think it was. And before we even did that, I had to go to two different stores. Um, besides Kroger, we had to go to this little Italian market in Livonia called Cantoro's. And really, really cool store if you ever need anything at Five Mile and uh, Haggerty. So... Um, if you can't tell, I really like making things. I make all kinds of things. So this lasagna process was pretty fun. I, I enjoyed it. Um, so I guess, you know, thinking back, what makes it enjoyable, I like knowing like that finished product comes from your own two hands. And I know a bunch of you guys are like that as well. So give it a try. Lasagna, old school way. I liked it. Um, the dinner party was cool. We ate, we laughed. We uh, told a bunch of stories. We sampled some bourbon here in the bourbon room. And the night went on, probably busted out a guitar and a ukulele and uh, had a really enjoyable night. It was fun. Um, I'm gonna, we'll do it again next year. Everyone's food was um, so, so good. And I liked hearing about um, how it was prepared. Like everyone took some time. It wasn't just, oh, grab it and come over here. You actually took the time. And I really appreciate that. Took some out of your, took time out of your day and planned and prepared and made it and brought it over and shared it. So I thought that was pretty cool. And that's part of, in my opinion, uh, part of the whole Anthony Bourdain Day celebration. So it's not just getting together, but it's like the buildup. It's bringing something that you poured your heart into and shared it, and it makes it so much better. And plus, stuff from scratch is always so much better. So this year, the, the warden limited me on the number of guests, so I could only have a handful. But next year, I'm going to give everybody fair warning. Next year, it's going to be bigger. 
So think about it. Um, think about a dish to make. Mark your calendar for June 25th of next year for Anthony Bourdain Day. We'll be right back. back next segment flushable wipes so this past week uh there was another episode of great lakes now on pbs and that's where i saw the story about flushable wipes i talked about in a couple of podcasts ago and the big fatberg that was in the sewers in macomb county so they revisited the story and i'm going to revisit it too it was about um the county commissioner candace miller she filed a lawsuit a few weeks back in federal court about flushable wipes. She filed a lawsuit against nine different companies. No shit, nine. And just, we'll back up a step. This She was really big advocate about not flushing the wipes. This big fatberg, it was 19 ton piece of sewage all held together by flushable wipes. So what she's suing for is um, the label. Number one, it shouldn't be called flushable. Um, and number two, she wants something on there that says, you know, not to flush it. Well, it turns out if you grab a, a pack of wipes and they say flushable, all that, you look down in the lower corner somewhere is small, there's this little symbol of a stick figure holding a, a looks like a little wipe over the toilet and dropping it in. And then there's a circle with slash through it. This thing is probably smaller than the size of a postage stamp. And that's what she's fighting for is to get that enlarged a lot, a lot bigger. So she went so far as, like I said, nine different companies. And I guess almost all the wipes that we use are made by these nine companies. And uh, so we'll see. Um, I'll keep you guys posted if I hear anything else. But I got to agree with her. Uh, If it's something little that we can do like that, you know what? Just wipe your butt and throw them in the garbage. You don't have to flush them down. So there you have it. There's your update on the flushable wipes uh, and Macomb County Commissioner Candace Miller filed lawsuit. So there you go. If you're got, if you're interested more in that, go to the Great Lakes Now website uh, on the internet. We'll be right back. Thanks. Okay, Rackhouse Ramblings is back, and this is the. It's time for my surprise. I got uh, something cool to talk about. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you guys have seen, you know, um, plenty of the reality shows on TV where they do like a house remodel in three days or they restore a hot rod in one week. Well, I'm going to try my hand at a restoration project of my own. Last week, I found a vintage moped on Craigslist and I bought it. Um, I think it's a classic. I, I don't know about if you guys will, but I think it is. And so when I was growing up, this was kind of a big deal. This is a 1984 Yamaha Hopper. And that's the name of it, Yamaha Hopper. It was the reason they used the name Yamaha Hopper because they were kind of doing a play on words of Hopalong Cassidy from way back when. And I don't know if you've ever heard about it, so I'll tell you guys about these things. It's uh, made by Yamaha. It's a little 50cc gas-powered scooter, and it has seat just for one person. Um, you know, it has like a headlight and turn signals horn, like a little uh, mini motorcycle, right? And Yamaha gave this, it actually has a model number. The model number is QT50 for 50cc, right? So they were made by Yamaha Motor Company from 1970. 79 until 1992 no shit and i couldn't find i was trying to look for some sales numbers i'm sure it's in the 
at least 100,000. I'm sure it is. They were everywhere. And so Yamaha had one. Honda had one. Suzuki had one. There were even some that had... Uh, like in Europe where they were pedaled like a bicycle and all that. This one didn't have pedals, it just had foot pegs. And they're popular in the 70s and 80s for a couple of reasons. They were, um, of course, fun to ride. Uh, they were really low maintenance and they were fuel efficient. People used to say these things would sip on gas and I couldn't find the official like miles per gallon from uh, Yamaha or on Wikipedia for that ma that matter. But there were some websites quoting they, 90 miles per gallon for sure seems to be a popular number. Some were as high as 135 miles per gallon. No shit. So think about that. Um, so let me get let me back up a little bit before I go down this Yamaha or rabbit hole. When I was a teenager in the early 80s, um, mopeds were just coming on the scene. And here I was, I had my little BMX mongoose bike and a paper route. And when I saw my buddies kind of ripping around the neighborhood on these mopeds, I thought, holy shit, that is, I want one. That is so cool. And, but you know, being a kid with just a paper route or whatever, I wasn't good with money ever. They were advertised for $459 and you could get them for cheaper than that from what I'm reading. And my day finally come. I got one. This one, it needs a lot of work, needs a lot of help. It was sold, it was listed as a parts bike, right? Um, so I'll start posting a few pictures of this on my Instagram for you guys to check out. Um, but it's really uh, a, an engineering marvel when I, I'm taking this thing apart and looking at it and reading about it. And what it is, they're really, really simple. There's this tube, uh, a frame made out of tubing, and it's a hollow tubing. And think of the letter J. It's shaped like a letter J. And at the top of the J is handlebars, and they're just like bicycle handlebars. And in the bottom of the letter J, where it kind of loops out the bottom, that's where the motor mounts. And it's only three bolts that holds this little motor on. And the motor, uh, it has a direct drive shaft that sticks straight out the back, and it has a worm drive gear at the end. And where that worm guy drive gear at the end is, um, the axle goes across side to side, and that's where the wheel attaches to. So the motor goes, turns the worm drive, spins the wheel, and off you go. Um, when you lift up the seat, it's kind of neat. There's these two little fill caps. One is for gas and one is for oil. This engine is called a two-stroke engine. So it uses a gas-oil mix, pretty much like your weed whacker and your chainsaw and all that. The beauty is Yamaha had a system where it mixes its own, and they were famous for, for this system. Suzuki had one too. And so you put gas in one side and you put oil in the other, and this thing mixes its own, and off you go. And the whole thing is like... Um, if you ever had to mix it yourself, you know what a pain in the ass it is. So when this system came out, it's, it's genius, I think. Um, the whole thing weighs only 95 pounds, and the stats say it can go a whopping 30 miles an hour. And compared to pedaling my old mongoose, that was like light speed. <laughs> so I found this, things on, this thing on Craigslist. It's uh, blue. It was covered in dirt and oil and grime. I took it home for the low, low price of $140. And for me, that's a small price to pay for a chance to relive my youth. Um, as I started kind of wiping away all the grime in the years, it's cleaning up really good. Uh, I've been using a 409 spray and this little handheld steamer, and that is a powerful combination for cleaning shit up. And the chrome parts, um, like the rims and the luggage racks, have been using steel wool with um, baking soda and lemon juice. And I'll tell you what, that shines the shit out of chrome. It works so, so good. Uh, and yesterday I put together my first little parts list, got online, and voila, I got some new gaskets and seals and rubber foot pegs on the way, and I, it needed a speedometer, so I found an original one, 
too. I ordered that as well. Um, but I, you know what? I have one request. Maybe you guys can help me with this. Someone out there might know this, but um, there's a little ignition key and the key is missing. So I know I can do a jumper. I know I can hot wire and things like that, but I'd like to get the key working. And if anyone knows how to get a key made to fit one of these little ignitions, man, that would really help me out in this restoration project. So enough about the Yamaha hopper. That's my surprise. That's my new restoration project. So uh, there you have it. We'll be right back. Okay, Rackhouse Ramblings episode 15 is back, and this is the Bourbon Spotlight segment. Um, on Father's Day, I got uh, a bottle from my son, really cool gift, and it's a handcrafted, uh, small batch, straight bourbon, triple X whiskey made by Traverse City Whiskey Company right here in Michigan. That's pretty cool. It's a first for me. I've had their cherry whiskey, and I like that a lot, but not their bourbon. Uh, or I should say cherry whiskey was a bourbon also, but not their straight. It's called triple X bourbon. So this week's spotlight, let's talk about Traverse City Whiskey Company up in Traverse City. Uh, you know, the, the label says uh, straight bourbon, XXX whiskey, triple X. And if it sounds like a lot of verbiage, you don't blame me. I'm just reading it right from the label. And I started out by going to their webpage, tcwhiskey.com. And they have five expressions listed on their website. The first is the bourbon, the triple X that I'm sampling tonight. Then there's a barrel proof version. And the barrel uh, proof comes in at 115 to 120. Um, tonight, the, the bourbon I'm trying is 86 proof. They also have a cherry infused bourbon at 70 proof, a North Coast rye at 90 proof, and the last is a port barrel finished bourbon at 86 proof. And I don't know if you guys remember, but one of my favorite bourbons, um, Angel's Envy, is port finished. In 1792, they also have a port finished expression. So if you guys are listening, if you ever see a bourbon out there that says port barrel finished, grab it and give it a try. So also listed on their website um, is their mash bill. It doesn't give you the percentages, but of course it's made with corn, rye, and malted barley. And if you know anything about bourbon, it has to be at least 51% corn. And they give a description here. It says, amber and elegant. Our triple X straight bourbon whiskey has been aged at least four years in new American white oak barrels with warm vanilla and a little heat. This is your go-to whiskey for all occasions. Perfect for sipping. It still holds its own in your much-deserved craft cocktail. So let's see. Let me open this bottle. And, you know, you can find Traverse City Whiskey at many of your local party stores and things like that. I've seen it at Kroger. I've seen it at Meyer. And remember, drink responsibly. Don't drink and drive, of course. Let's see what we have. There we go. It has a good nose, smells really good, and, and like they, they're calling out, uh, what was it, the flavor profile on here? Warm vanilla. Can definitely smell vanilla. Oh, it does have a little heat to it. So this one, the finish going down, uh, does have a little bit of heat. Definitely smell the vanilla. And I, let me try another one. Strong vanilla, as a matter of fact. This is really good. If you guys see this out there, I'd give it a try. That's the Traverse City Whiskey Straight Bourbon Triple X, 86 proof. Wow. Well, that's the end of the show. Thank you guys all so much for listening. A little bit on the shorter side today. 
I hope everyone has a safe week and we'll see you next week. Take it easy.